Hello and welcome to the next edition of How Might We? And today I'm pleased to be joined by Clive Bonney, who's going to be um, talking about how might we improve business resilience. Okay, so Clive, do you want to um, just introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Thank you very much, Scott. So I'm Clive Bonney. For the last 30 years, since 1990, I've been running my own micro-business called Strategic Management Partners. It's a, a niche management consultancy. I work in tandem with other business colleagues as associates, and we specialize in business risk management. So we look at all aspects of risks to businesses, large and small, and we help those firms reduce or remove those risks in order to maintain and sustain their profitability and their lifespan. So it's a really interesting area to work in and specialize in. I enjoy problem solving, so it's perfect for me, professionally and personally. And over the years, I must have helped uh, well over 500 firms become more resilient, more sustainable, and continue more profitably. Okay, so hopefully in the next 30 minutes, you can distill some of those experiences over those years to help people um, sort of understand some of the concepts. So when you talk about improving business resilience, uh, what do you mean by that? Every business has its difficulties, its challenges, whether it be recruiting the right people, which is vital at the start, and indeed even in large firms, if those people are not in the right jobs, that can also cause difficulties, through to managing cash flow, through to widening their customer base, through to choosing the right quality suppliers, a whole host of different activities that need to be carefully planned, thought out, and actually delivered and implemented successfully. And the real challenge for um, firms, large and small nowadays, is how do we prioritize from having to do a thousand and one things with a thousand and one risks down to a manageable number, which means that we may not be able to get rid of all the risks, but we can pick and choose those risks which we can control and reduce or mitigate, as we say, in order to survive and thrive. So that's the real challenge. Imagine a thousand piece jigsaw with nothing on the jigsaw pieces to tell you where those pieces should go. I used to enjoy jigsaw puzzles when I was a child and I'm still playing jigsaw puzzles now with, with businesses in order to help them put the right pieces in the right place in order to survive. So very complex subject and I hope I can make it easier for people so that they can put the uh, fingers in the dikes as the, the Dutch say at the right place at the right time. Okay, so it's, as you say, it's quite a broad subject, business resilience, and some aspects possibly and probably people haven't actually thought of. We kind of concentrate mainly on cash and operational issues. So obviously, uh, because of what happened with COVID and moving forward, is this something that's uh, being highlighted as uh, an area that's definitely something we should look at more? Yes, it has been highlighted, particularly with the pandemic. I've been approached by businesses who have discovered that whilst they've been paying uh, fairly hefty general insurance premiums through their insurance companies, uh, their insurance companies have come back and told them that those insurance premiums and their contracts are no longer valid because whilst the insurance uh, policy stated pandemic was covered, it did not state that COVID-19 was covered and they been a big get out. So if we actually look at the numbers just in the UK, about £275 billion is, is paid every year to insurance companies. And 
in the region of just 19 million has been paid back to cover pandemic losses. So that's a very stark example that companies who thought that they were covered insurance-wise for losses due to pandemic were not covered. And that relates to, unfortunately, more than 95% of businesses in this country. It's shocking, it's true, but they didn't do enough due diligence with their insurance companies to check, are we covered for uncertain or unforecast eventualities? So it is a good example. As a matter of fact, some of those companies who have come to me have said to them, to me, we can get insurance cover. We've been offered insurance cover and not only offered it but at a lower premium. If we can produce for our insurance company an up-to-date business continuity plan. So in the last three months, I've been working on business continuity plans for my clients in order not only to reduce their insurance premiums and give them full cover, but also to make their operations more sustainable on a holistic basis across the board. It's been very interesting. Okay, so we've talked about that, obviously, is, and the, the, the figures, as you say, are quite stark. What do you think, well, in your experience, what are the other main issues that organisations have approached you about, as obviously from when the lockdown happened, and what do you think might be some of the things they need to consider moving forward into whatever this new normal is actually going to look like? Yeah. Well, let me uh, put some simple categorization forward to you. I deal with firms large and small, even at startup level. And firms have different um, requirements in managing risk, depending on their uh, status, where, how long they've been running and, and how, how large they are. Approximately 95% uh, of the number of businesses in the UK are what we call micro businesses. That is to say that they employ five or less people. And those micro businesses have very different uh, risks and therefore different requirements for sustainability and continuity planning than the larger firms. The next category up is what we call the SME, small to medium sized enterprise, uh, who typically employ up to 250 employees. And then beyond that, we have the established uh, larger firms who employ more than 250 people. And each of these three sectors do have different requirements. So, so my challenge is to understand those different requirements at the different levels and focus in on what are the, the, the more uh, obvious and perhaps the highest risks as I see them for that type of business. Take an example, a small firm uh, has a much bigger risk for cash flow especially the startup. So what I do to help those people minimize their risks is I introduce them to sources of funding to help them overcome difficulties such as we've had in the last three to four months and also to accelerate their expansion. To extend that thread, many small firms don't actually realize that they can sell shares in those businesses if they are actually selling a potentially highly scalable product or service, they can sell shares to private equity investors. And if you look on what we call crowdfunding sites, you'll see that several billion pounds a year of private equity investment goes into small firms and startups who then can accelerate growth. Uh, we're talking last year on average half a million pounds of cash going into a small firm or a startup. They create that cash, they generate that cash 
typically within 30 to 60 days, and they can keep that money for often five years without paying any interest or loan or putting even personal collateral on, on the line. And all that stems from having an effective business plan, having a very scalable product, but also actually sharing with shareholders a business continuity plan. There are things that people are not aware of in the marketplace which have grown up very quickly in the last few years, like crowdfunding, which really didn't exist as an alternative investment market 10 years ago at all, and take advantage of what is happening with these new market trends. It's, it's very exciting in many respects, but it's also uh, very difficult for some people to keep up with what's happening in a market which is so fluid and changing so quickly. So you've talked about funding and stuff, and obviously you and I off, off call have uh, discussed things like IP. So can you give an example of certain things that companies have, or individuals, especially if you're a small startup or something like me, is a, a, like you, a micro business, that we ha may have assets that we don't realize we have and how to sort of yeah. defend those. So. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, a lot of my associates, business associates, are other consultancy firms and, and training companies, for example. This week, I've been advising one particular training company that if they properly protect their intellectual property on their training content, because they're creating manuals, which they can sell to clients, if they can protect that efficiently through copyright, through trademarks, and through design registrations, which may show graphical representations of their processes, then that becomes a licensable product. And instead of them having to rely solely for themselves on selling that product as a training uh, content uh, or training manual or online video, they can recruit franchisees to do that for them. And that means that potentially a, a training company can recruit up to, say, 50 or even 100 third parties who then resell that product, give the originator franchise or a percentage of their sales and can still make effective money because they're borrowing an idea which has already proved successful. So in that sense, a small company that may just be turning over £100,000, if it can multiply their distribution within a year by 100, then they're going to be turning over 100 times £100,000, which is actually a very, very interesting proposition. But they have to start by protecting their intellectual property and registering it, which means subsequently they can license it. And the registration for IP is, is not a big cost. A trademark application fee is about £200. A design registration is only £60, and that lasts five years. So a lot of people don't realise that actually there are very low costs related to IP ownership. And they don't need to go to city law firms with expensive offices in order to gain affordable protection. Okay, so that's again looking at the IP, and it's interesting that you can say that, and it's sort of a thread that goes through this is really to sort of uh, plan your business at the beginning and sort of look at where do you want this business to go to help mm. put the foundations in place at the beginning to help deliver that. Yeah. So, in yeah. your experience, do when people start companies up or are small companies, do you believe that they're it's just an idea they have, then they want to sell that idea, that product or service, and they just set it up without that sort of forethought. 
Uh, I come across hundreds of very interesting startups every year. I work closely with the universities who, who introduce me to some of their prospective businesses and, and employ me to help advise them. So I've got quite a lot of experience in this particular market sector. Uh, my own experience uh, tells me that out of perhaps 100 innovators and entrepreneurs, the reality is that less than 10 will, be, will still be there in five years' time. It's a shocking uh, death rate for new business startups. And if we look at the numbers on a, on a UK-wide basis, last year there were 600,000, over 600,000 new businesses registered in Companies House. And yet more than 80% of those firms will probably not be around in four to five years time. So the, this issue of business continuity planning and business sustainability is, is very big. I must, I must emphasize that many of those firms could have and should have remained and thrived, survived and thrived, if only they had actually put into place some form of risk assessment at the very start so that they could focus and prioritize their time to work on those major risks. And that's often why firms do not survive because the founders are trying to do 101 things at a time and they're failing to pick out the most important aspects of their operations. So it's a, it's a big issue actually for society in this country. It's a big problem when people are putting in their life savings, perhaps even from friends and family, they're trying to make a go of it for four to five years and then unfortunately failing because they are not aware of some of the support out there in the marketplace, which is often free. They're simply unaware of some of these support processes and facilities. So it's, it, in some respects, it, it's, it's often sad for me to see good people fail, but I can get some benefit from seeing many more who do survive and thrive by being able to signpost them to some of the support resources that are actually openly and freely available. So if you were to list sort of two or three uh, resources that people should consider tapping into early on or even when they're in their uh, developing their business or it's in its infancy or growth what would they yep. well i think the first step for a startup is not actually to register a, a name on company's house but it's to check the trademark registers on something called the uk intellectual property office database because many registrations on company's house are in fact using trademarks that are already owned by third parties, which can result in infringement down the line. And when that happens, a company can lose its profit to the original trademark owner. So for the sake of a search, a database search, which is freely available on the UK IPO website, which may take only 15 minutes or so, they can save themselves a lot of hassle further down the line and ensure that their company registered name is not owned as a trademark by somebody else. So that's a, an interesting example for startups. I mentioned grants. There are thousands, literally thousands of third party funding agencies across the UK, whether they be specifically for charities or they can be charities helping small entrepreneurs themselves. 
I really would recommend to small firms, not just startups, but any small firm employing less than 250 people, to consider trawling the grants, the low-cost loans, and some of the um, money available, not only through national funding agencies, but also through their local authorities. To give you an example, in the last few years, my local authorities down, uh, down my way around uh, the southeast of the UK have been providing small grants to startups and small enterprises for, sub, for things like website development, uh, intellectual property protection, business planning, and even helping them work with other uh, consultancy firms, which otherwise become unaffordable for them. So there's basically a lot of money there, a lot of resource, which they're not fully taking advantage of. If I can pick on a third element, which is also applicable to large organizations, are indeed tax credits. There are many organizations that are introducing uh, new innovative products and services. They're spending time and money on those, and that time and money can often be offset with uh, HMRC giving them either tax relief on their profits, if they're making profit, or even if they're not making a profit, uh, sending them a check, a large check in some cases, and be up to 20 or 30,000 pounds to offset their original costs in the previous two years for R&D. So there's three interesting examples which people are not fully appreciating. And if we take R&D tax credits, 95% of eligible firms are not applying for that money, which is a big shame. So people like me may be able to help them, signpost them to where that money is and also how to apply for it. Yes, but it's, um, it's definitely a rarity to hear the taxman giving you a cheque rather than asking. <laughs> yeah. Definitely a turn for the books for most people that would enjoy. So we've looked at that. So in your experience, and obviously we're now in uncharted waters in where we're going forward, and you've said it depends on the size of the organisation, which I, I appreciate. But what are some of the, the, the things in the horizon that you could see happening that would potentially be risks for organisations to be aware of? Hmm. Oh, well, let me take myself as, as an interesting example. Every year, I apply to my two local universities, Brighton and Sussex University, to take on, in the summer, an intern from the, their business studies departments. It's been amazingly successful. But this year, in March, when the pandemic was starting, I applied for and successfully obtained a young lady called Heather Sutti from Sussex University expert in business studies and also psychology and whilst some of my clients fell away that came on board and has been working with me full-time and also fully funded by the university not by me for developing my business in my consultancy and my training practice been doing market research talking directly to clients working with me to widen my customer base and also promote a key offer which is business continuity support and intellectual property protection so i'm a good example and yet most firms aren't taking advantage of the opportunity to work with universities improve the next generation business skills and at the same time get what i call free support it's a lack of awareness scott that's helped help hindering people more than anything and even large firms uh, are not fully appreciating the opportunities that this level of support through internship and apprenticeships actually offer to. 
Okay, again, so that's, uh, goes back to what you're saying. A lot of stuff's out there that companies just are not aware is available to them. And it doesn't matter what size of organization you are. And, yeah, yeah. And it's the interesting thing is about the tax credits. And so most companies how are, in my view, creating something new and unique, new and unique in some description. Yes. So starting fact is 95% of them can't or don't apply. Yeah, they're not protecting their IP assets and they're not taking advantage of the very generous research and development tax credits that are available and have been available for many years. Can you give an example of certain this, this tax credits, R&D tax credits, the types of things it covers then? Just to give people an example of the scope. One of my clients developed a wearable health product that improved people's health, what we call a class to a medical device. They've been spending three years developing this product and wanted to bring it to the market with a full health authority approvals. They weren't aware of the tax credit when, when I started to work with them, but within a short period of time, we looked at it and they ended up with a £30,000 check sent to them, which cost them possibly a day of their time putting together an application for the tax credit with a qualified uh, tax accountant. So for a day's work, for a company that wasn't making any, any money, didn't even have the product in the marketplace approved, to suddenly receive £30,000 from the HMRC came as a, a pleasant surprise. That's the kind of, uh, of example that more, more companies need to be aware of. And it, and it doesn't take a lot of time and cost to uh, improve one's uh, standing and reduce one's risk. So lots of examples like this, which I'm very happy to, to, to give. And there are lots of examples like this on my website as well. Okay. So again, being aware of where we're going, being aware of where to go through and, and the planning at the beginning and say most companies and me included, the first thing I did went on a company's house, does this exist? And then you do the URL search, is this website available? You say the, the, the important thing is to say, does anyone own what you're trying to do previously? That's right. And it's not even domain name ownership. The people who are selling domain names in the marketplace are not checking if those domain names are owned as trademarks by third parties. So in all too many cases, they're selling domain names, which actually result in the buyer creating an infringement suit on themselves. So... It's, uh, it's a, there are lots of risks which people are not aware of in, in this fast-moving digital marketplace. I think that's interesting about the domain name because you're assuming if, if you go to, to one of these domain name resellers, you, you type the, the thing and they say it is available, you can buy it if you want to uh, for whatever price. Um, and with the pandemic, a lot more organizations are going virtual in some respect to their offerings or services. Yes. Uh, rather than just bricks and mortar services. So yeah. this is an interesting risk or area that they need to be aware of. It's, it's just like buying a, a second-hand car without asking for proof of ownership or the logbook or going onto the DBLA website to check, uh, is this car registered or has it had an accident? People don't do that. They're inviting problems. But it's all too often the case that, that unfortunately, level of check doesn't happen in business with IP and with a lot of other areas as well. Okay, so we've covered IP, so what, what you can actually protect, which is to say your concepts, which could be an idea, as well as a product or service you offer. Yep. It can be your processes, if yep. you developed a process. It could be a model or a framework of working towards. 
it could be content of training and then obviously you've got the physical stuff that you can make which is again it's slightly different but how people can protect so i think the realization for me is that there's a lot of stuff or assets potential assets within the organization that they spend time building that is about helping protect that moving forward what, what i normally do scott at the, the the earliest possible moment is to give um, companies a free checklist of items which takes just less than 10 minutes to complete which effectively gets them to recognize where are the largest risks in their business as a whole these checklists look at their recruitment process their business planning their contracts their insurance their level of customer retention things like this which are actually quite important and at the end of going through that 10 minute checklist they are in a much better position to be able to identify where their precious time needs to go to remove or reduce some of those risks. And that's a very good starting point for, for any firm. And actually, I recommend firms do that on a regular six monthly or annual basis to keep in touch with some of the additional risks that come through. Okay, so that's a really good point. Is, is it, as you say at the beginning, you said there's a thousand and one risks and you can't mitigate or manage all of them. So your checklist is a way of actually helping identify the key ones for your organization. Yep. Yep. And uh, we identify and prioritize those by looking at what is the level of impact of that risk on their business. So I get people to score those levels out of uh, five or 10 and also looking at the cost of actually managing that risk. So it's a combination of how big is the risk and how, in, how much will it cost to actually fix. And, and that reduces issues down from uh, 1,001, down from 101, down, down to about 10. Okay, that sounds a much more manageable number. <laughs> so if you, because what I tend to at the end of the, these podcasts, just ask a simple question. So. And thank you for sharing your experience and sort of highlighting some of the risks and that we have in business and how to build some resilience for ourselves. So if you were to give somebody five tips, just your top five tips to and how might they improve their business resilience, what would they be? Number one tip is take a checklist. They're free of charge. They take only a few minutes to complete and they will help you prioritize and manage where your time needs to go with risk management. So that's number number one. Number two is actually work with other firms, your own supply chain, to find out what their risks are because their risks will affect you. So if you've got a small number of key clients, for example, and many firms are reliant on 80% of their business coming from 20% of their clients, so other people in your supply chain are at risk and it's useful for you to share with them your risk management tactics and also understand what is at risk and how other people are managing theirs. So number two is look at your supply chain, share your risk management processes with them because that will help all parties. Number three is have a plan to ensure that those risks are properly followed up. So once you prioritize those risks, it's actually looking at putting them on the to-do list every single month until you have seen that risk 
implemented and reduced or removed. That's number three, make sure the risks are managed. Number four, this is rather wider, but I would recommend to people to look at social and environmental practices in their businesses. The reason for this is that if they want to expand their supply chain, especially to the public sector and the PLC sector, then actually demonstrating to those much bigger suppliers who can give you very large juicy contracts, your ability in managing social and environmental uh, issues makes a big difference. And the reason for this is because statutorily, large public sector firms and public bodies, so PLCs and uh, local authorities, are legally obliged to ensure that their supply chain have social and environmental credentials. So if you can demonstrate that, you can win your way to much bigger orders which produce more sustainability for you. And the public sector does pay on time much better than the private sector. So that's the fourth issue. And the fifth issue is when you think you've got it right, why not just check it with someone who's got some professional expertise in risk management? Because many people like myself are very happy to take an overview, which may only take an hour or two, and look at someone's plan and ask the question, what if? In other words, a friendly uh, but objective critiquer to look at what you've just done. Those would be my five key points. Okay, Clive, thank you very much for your time. Really interesting and some practical steps for people to take to improve their business resilience moving forward. Thank you for your My time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Scott. You're welcome. Mm -hmm.